0: This podcast may contain adult language, adult situations, spoilers, and some brief nudity, so parental guidance is adjusted. We have such sights to show you.
1: After about five minutes of this movie, you're going to wish you had ten beers. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria. So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? Hi, I'm Jackie. Wanna play? <laughs> oh, well. La <laughs> dee da. La dee da. La la.
0: Yeah. Welcome back to the Cinema Recall Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Cinema Recall Podcast, which I am dubbing Yahoo for Yorgos. This is the series where I and a guest talk about the mini movies from Yorgos Lanthimos. Last week, it was Dark Tooth. This week, we are discussing the chilling of a sacred deer. And I brought along with me a uh, wonderful cat, a uh, screenwriting teacher. He's been on episodes before. I've been on episodes of his. From the host of Pop Art, we have Mr. Howard Kasner. Hello, sir. Hello. How are you? Oh, I am great, man. It's good to have you here. Back on the show. I miss you, man. What's, what's been going on with you?
1: Well, um, actually, I suppose the big news is, not movie related, is that in a, almost two weeks, a little less, going on a cruise to Australia and New Zealand. Oh, hell yeah. Sp- yeah, spending three days in Sydney and then going on a New Zealand cruise where I go. I'm going on the Lord of the Rings excursion tour. So uh
0: So what what was all of that? Huh? What like what do you like, do you see all the uh places where they well, filmed the movie? I think
1: so. I'm not totally sure myself, and I think there's some deal included. Uh but yeah, I think you get to see where things were uh were filmed. So we'll find out. I'll let you know whether it was worth the money and whether there might have been a better uh excursion or a better uh to do, but I'm very much looking forward to the trip. I love traveling, so that's my big Uh news.
0: That is very kind of cool. Australia be (laughs) a fun place to see. I would be happy if they showed me all the spots where Cracker's Al Dundee was filmed in before. Well I guess that's in Australia proper. So uh yeah maybe. (laughs) That might be fun. That is so cool. Uh, first of all, thank you, everyone, for listening and subscribing to Cinema Recall. You can find us on the whole platforms of podcast networks. We're available on Apple Podcasts and on Grid Pods, Spotify, Podbean. Uh, we're available on Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio app for your iOS and Android phone. It picks up the most traded articles on the web and reads them to you in a natural human voice go to usually.me use the promo code recall, and get one month free of their premium service. We're also available every Sunday night at 8.30 p.m. at fullswapradio.com. Full Swap Radio is a Tink and fetish site podcast. we a bunch of great kink and fetish podcasters, and we are available on their Vanilla Sunday program. So check us out there. Thank you very much for that. Now, Howard. uh I do a little that we do each week or each episode called Rage Corner. Rage Corner brought to you by the fine gents over at the Film Rage Podcast and either we rage angrily or rage happily about whatever's going on in the entertainment industry and I hope you don't mind if I go first or if you want to go yes, first. Please. Or- yes, please. Okay. It'll give me a, an example sort of Gotcha. All right. So my little rage corner is a kind of a small one. And I, I know people that are going to listen to this and be like, I am like just complaining too much, but I really get upset when I watch a movie on streaming and it's not in the threat aspect ratio. It's a, it's a, I know. It's a kind of a small nitpick, but I wanted to watch Blue Velvet because I saw that it was on Paramount Plus and Showtime and I started to watch it and I had to stop it because that movie is in a two by three five aspect ratio and the way it's streaming on Paramount Plus and Showtime, it's a one eight five or one by six nine and just throws me off. Same thing with Taint Girl. I want to watch Teen Girl on 2B and the version they have on 2B is like a different frame rate. And I, I know it's a small thing and many people probably wouldn't notice it, but I noticed it like that. And it's just a little pet peeve of mine. I hate when movies are not in their correct ratio. And if it's not going to be the correct ratio, it should say this film has been modified from its original version like they did for the pan scan VHSs. So, like I said, I know people are going to be like, Oh, you nerd. How dare you just complain about such minuscule things? But yeah, it's fucking annoying. So that's my Rage corner. Streamins, please put their movies in the rate right aspect ratio. Yes, Howard. Okay. You're, you're, you're turning your, your those turn by me. is like, Oh, you nerd.
1: No, no, it's just, uh, in fact, it gave me an idea. I was going over different things, but you talked about a pet peeve, and I have a pet peeve. the happens both in movies and um, on television series. It's not important for people who aren't into theater, but oftentimes, both in movies and uh, television series, they will have a scene from a play, and I go, no, that's not in the play. That's not... Representative of the play. Um, the last thing I saw was in the feud with, uh, Betty, Day, uh, the one about Betty Davis and Joan Crawford. And they have this scene from Nadia the Iguana. And I'm going, no, <laughs> this is not <laughs> Nadia the Iguana. This is not, they have three people on stage. And I'm going, you realize that there are about 15 characters in this story and the dialogue isn't from it. And of course the reason why is they either didn't want to pay for the rights or they couldn't get the rights. So they wrote something that sounded like Night of the Iguana, except that it didn't remotely sound like Night of the Iguana. Uh, I think on the, the, uh, uh, the Big Bang Theory, they were once doing Diary of Anne Frank that you could hear. And I'm going, that's not Diary of Anne Frank. Uh, those lines aren't, and it happens constantly. Even when they are right and do all the right lines, like in To Be or Not To Be, I'm going, that's not how the play goes. Because he starts the To Be or Not To Be soliloquy, which means someone leaves to go see his wife backstage. Mm -hmm. I'm going, but she's on stage right after you finish the To Be or Not To Be soliloquy. And they like a book, an act break after that. I'm going, no, but uh, that's a pet peeve of mine that often drives me up the wall.
0: You know? I, I could hear that. You know, you are yeah. said when people just don't use the actual – and your rate is probably has to do with maybe legal reasons. That's why they can't use the actual test because they have to pay twice for it. But if that's the case, just make up your own play for it. It doesn't have to be that play. Just have well, to be a completely different play.
1: In in the feud, it did have to be Naughty the Iguana, because that's what Biddy Davis was doing at the time. But they could have done a better writing job and make it more Tennessee Williams than it was.
0: Oh, gotcha. So they used the play, but they don't have to watch the play to get the style and rhythm of the right. dialogue. to Right. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yes, we are just two older nerds that just like to uh, pick about stuff there. Alright, that's cool. Uh, So, here's where we're going to take just a small little, little break right now to play some ad spots from some wonderful podcast shows, and then we'll be back after these messages.
1: After these messages We'll be right back host Cam Sully each week as he chats with special guests to discuss many an insane movie and numerous cult TV phenomenons.
0: you must be Martin.
1: That's right. You must be Anna. That's right. I brought you some little gifts. That's very kind of you. It's a key ring with a musical note on it for Kim, because I know she likes music.
0: What a charming boy. How long have you known him?
1: Quite some time. His father was a patient of mine.
0: I want to say one more thing. I'm really sorry about Bob.
1: It's nothing serious.
0: No, it is. They will all get sick and die. Bob will die, Kim will die, your wife will die. Understand? No, I don't. My mom's attracted to
1: you. She's got a great body. He's got issues, serious psychological issues. Dad! Bob's dying! Mom!
0: You do realize, Stephen, we're in this situation because of you. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Cinema Recall podcast. Howard, I'm, I'm forgetting something. I'm forgetting something. Um, I do this every time and I can't believe this. I am so sorry. Uh, oh yeah. So, you know what? Whenever I forget stuff, that's all right. Because whenever I do forget stuff, I have to talk about real quickly about Magic Mind. Magic Mind is an energy shot company and they have this great new product called Magic Mind. And you can get your own shipment of Magic Mind by going to the site, magicmind.com slash cinema recall. Get 56% off your subscription for the next uh, 10 days with our code. So you get 56% off the first 10 days if you get this product. And uh, it's great. What it does, it's, uh boost energy and focus and crush procrastination, elevate mental clarity. Magic Mind, we're going to pull up right there, the camera. There you go stuff there. Howard. miss you... There? Hello? Okay. <laughs> I'm here. Now, okay. The movie we we're, were discussing is The Killing of a Sacred Deer, but I wanted to ask you, before we get into this movie, what's your history with Yarkos Lanthimos is? I mean, what is the first movie you ever saw of his? Oh, that would be
1: Dogtooth. I was in LA, and they were having a special showing of it. Not at the Silent Silent movie theater, but at some group at the silent movie theater, because there was a group running the silent movie theater, which later they had to close silent movie theater because the heads of this group, sexual harassment, but that's that. But we went and saw Dogtooth oh. and strangely enough, as much as I love, even though I can't ever remember honestly his name, Lanthromos, whatever his name like- is, Lanthimos, I just saw Lanthimos. Lanthimos, Lanthimos. I should remember that. Um, I think he's one of the greatest filmmakers. Now, I didn't care for Dogtooth. I thought its its attacks on the bourgeois and middle class families was very dated. I mean, it's in the 1960s. Once they're off Broadway playback, Um, and when that happens, then other things start going wrong. Like I'm, I'm saying, you aren't taught perspective. That's something you just learn naturally as human being. So when you have the plane up in the sky and then the toy plane on the ground, I'm going, he's going to know that that can't be the plane in the sky because he's old enough to have learned perspective uh, all on his own. He knows that. So all in all, it didn't really do anything for me. I didn't quite get what all the hype was. And then the lobster comes out. And I'm going, oh, I'm so glad that all these people saw something in Dogtooth, even if I didn't, because The Lobster was just fantastic. And I've liked every film of his since. I did see the one he made between um uh, uh Dogtooth and The Lobster. I don't remember too much about it. I think I just thought it was okay. Uh But yep. from The Lobster on, I just think he's an incredible filmmaker
0: yeah the one they did prior to the lobster was Alps and right. it's about a group of like actors who pretend to be the deceased person of the family to help them get over their grieving process and that's the one I need to watch again because I really kind of enjoyed that one but I think I enjoyed that one slightly more than Dark Darktooth um, mm-hmm. I just remember Dark Tooth because of the Academy Award nominations and I thought oh this movie was to be insane to be uh, an award nominated movie, but I did in- enjoy it. I liked his other movies a lot more. Uh, I definitely enjoyed the Lobster more, uh, but yeah, um, it's weird because uh, I want to say this that both uh, Dark Tooth uh, and the Lobster and this one it was written by Yarkos Lanthimos, and I'm gonna do my best to pronounce the name of this other screenwriter, uh, Filippo please send all your comments and hate mail to cinema recall at gmail.com for me not knowing how to pronounce this other screenwriter's name. But when he works with this other person, a lot of the actors seem to be talking in this very sort of like monotonic robot ways. So you look at both the dark tooth and the lobster and our featured movie, the killing of a sacred deer everyone seems to have, like, this type of, like, dialogue style with it. Uh, but let's, let's talk really quickly about The Killing of a Sacred Deer. When did you first see this movie?
1: When it came out.
0: When it came out, I okay. wasn't
1: about uh, to let it pass by after seeing Lobster. I had to see Killing of a Sacred Deer.
0: Now, I remember, before I even saw the movie, I remember the trailer of this and just thought it was very different. Um, there is a young girl seen in a pop song very quietly, like they do in, in a lot of other movie trailers, and just the concept alone. Uh, I'll tell our listeners just really quickly about the plot of it, and I'm not going to go into major spoilers right now, but we'll get into that as we talk about the movie. Uh, the movie stars Colin Farrell, Nicole Kidman, Barry Keoghan, Raffi Cassidy, and a story about Colin Farrell is a surgeon, and while operating uh, a guy, the guy dies, and he feels guilty by it, and so he befriends his son, played by Barry Keoghan, and the two strike up a relationship, and when the movie progresses, uh, Barry's character feels that uh, since Colin Phil's character killed his dad, uh, he has to make a choice and off one of his family members. Uh, and then this starts off like these kids can't, uh, walk, they can't eat, and soon they're gonna start bleeding from the eyes, and then he has to make a choice. Uh, but when you first watch this movie, Howard, You don't really know that. If you didn't watch a chiller for this, you wouldn't really know what's going on. Did you see a chiller for this movie before? I don't
1: remember seeing one before. That doesn't mean I didn't, but I just don't remember. So yeah, I was watching it, uh, the scenes, and I'm going, where is this going? What is happening here? And it's not really until you have the scene at the diner where you find out exactly what's going on. So it becomes interesting, yeah, when the young son, something happens to him. And then you find out what is happening, and it's both horrifying. It's pure Greek tragedy, and it, to me, it's fascinating from that moment on.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I I had my co-host of Cinema Recall actually watch part of this last night, and we met up with another friend of ours, and she's talked about the movie. She's like, Vern, I don't what the fuck is this movie all about. I have no idea what's going on." Our are both the doctor and that young boy, are they like in sort of like a relationship with each other? Because at the beginning of the movie, it shows like this heart procedure happening. And I really don't know at that point if someone dies or not. Because the next scene we see is with Colin Farrell and another doctor talking They're talk about someone's wristwatch. And then the next scene we see is Colin Farrell and Barry Keaton's character comes in. And Colin like, have you eaten yet? And he's like, you know, I'm really kind of hungry. I'll eat this food here. And then he starts giving him gifts. So I'm thinking, oh, all right. Why are they together like this? At first, I thought he was having a relationship with his character and trying to keep it secret from his wife. And then it wasn't until a little bit later on when you find out that, no, he operated on his dad and he, Barry, Gilton, Barry Gilton's character is trying to get him to be his dad for his mom, because there's a great funny sequence with Alicia Silverstone's character that's in this, um, but uh, it's a movie that I don't think I like this one as much as his other movies. I kind of put this one down at the lower scale of Lantham movies. Uh It's weird, because I find the style of dialogue that these actors use, I thought it worked much more effective in like Dark Tooth and The Lobster, even Alps. But in this movie, I don't think the style works so well. See, in The Lobster, it felt like it was like an alternate universe with these characters, and it just fit that style of it. For this movie, I don't, I don't know. I want just you th- your thoughts about the acting, the way the dialogue is used, like. Do you find it to be more effective here than other movies he's done?
1: Well, he's only done this, I guess, in the four films because he's radically changed the acting style when it came to The Favorite. Mm -hmm. And then um, the, um, (laughs) what was the last one? Oh, that's on- Poor Things. Poor Things, where he uses a much more traditional acting style It brings a certain, though, as it did in The Lobster, maybe not as much in The Killing of a Sacred Deer, it brings a certain humor at first, but eventually it helps with the horror. Because when you find out what's really going on, and the acting style is still very muted, for me that makes it even more terrifying and more scary as to what's going on. I think I know what you mean. I think I can accept that because you do have this long sequence where there really isn't a plot and you don't know what's going on. And I agree with you. Was there something sexual going on? And then eventually you find out, well, no, that's not what this is about. But, you know, the deadpan acting style contributes to that. So... um I think Colin Farrell handles it very well. Nicole Kidman may get away with it more because she hasn't as big a part. I mean, she's a supporting role, so she she doesn't play as big a part. But it worked for me. But I do understand right. that it takes a while to
0: really fully work. I did appreciate a lot of the way the movie was shot. It was uh, shot by Timo's. Makadas, and he actually, I'm trying to look him up right now, where he did shoot stuff, and I, uh, where did I, so, yeah, so yeah, he did shoot Dogtooth and, and Bird. He did shoot the Lobster and Una. Um, I did really kind of like the way that the movie frames all the characters in, like, very wide shots, and, like, the camera only plays, like, a certain character in the movie, too. Um, there's never a shot where characters are looking on and on with each other. It's always, it's always like up above or down below. And it almost makes it feel that this world is an alien type of a world. Like, it, it reminded me in a way of like David Cronenberg's Crash where your characters are not behaving like humans. It's almost like aliens trying to behave as human beings. And I found that to be kind of fascinating the way they did this in the style, because it's a horrific concept, but the movie somehow makes you see things on the outset. Like, you're never really connected to any of these characters it seems like. You're just looking at people from a third person perspective. So, all these problems that are happening with Colin Farrell's character, in a way, it can become Kind of funny in a really kind of dark sort of way, because when you do find out that Barry Kilkins character puts sort of like this heads on this family that says, "Hey, look, all your family members are going to die. Your wife is going to get sick and die. Your children are going to get sick and die." There's a kind of funny moment towards the end where Carl ferrell's like, shoot. This is going to happen to my kids. I have to make a choice here. And he's talking to that school's principal. And he's like, and the school's principal is telling all the great things that the kids have done and calling for those characters, like, huh? So, which one of our, is my kids, is you, do you like more? And yeah. I found that to be just, there's a lot of very funny dark hubert to this, or, uh, when the young one gets really kind of sick and the daughter just goes, Mom! Dad, Bob's dying. It just, it's just—it's so deadpan. I just found it to be absolutely funny, and I'm not sure if that was the intent that Lathamose had, but maybe it was the intent that he had to make this to be a dark comedy. Because I find a lot of like darkly comic notions in this tragedy movie, and I think that's mainly because of the way that it was shot and sequences are framed and the acting. I feel like you're supposed to be looking at this on the outset and not really connecting to the characters. I I don't know. I'm preaching here. Well, I I do think that he is
1: trying to alienate the audience. And I think you're right. They're supposed to keep a distance. And sometimes I'm not sure if something is supposed to be funny or not. And I do laugh. So does the audience. Um, When it comes to the deadpan acting, of course, this isn't really anything new. Uh, Robert Garzone and and, uh, Riguda Rossellini all use that. David Mamet uses it, but I don't think it works very well on David Mamet. And then what's his name? The guy who plays Deadwood – no, uh, the guy who plays um, Deadpool.
0: Oh, right. Uh,
1: Yeah, he makes a living off of being deadpan on screen. So not everybody can do it well. Not everybody can do it very convincingly. I like the way it's shot too. especially like the long west wing walks where they're following them and they're walking, walking and then they turn a corner and they go uh, way down another quarter. They tend to, camera tends to follow people walking and walking and walking and they have a way, an odd perspective on how that happens.
0: Yes. T- totally right like there. Um Now, did you you saw some theaters, right? I'm sorry. Did, did 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 you see some theaters? Did I see some theaters? No, sorry. Did you see this in theaters?
1: Yes, I did. I saw you, it when it
0: opened. You did open okay, fair Uh I did too because I was a big fan of the Lobster, and I was I think that mistake I had when I saw this movie because after the Lobster. Uh, and dark tooth, I was almost expecting to just have this really comical, dark first about this. And I definitely got that with this movie. Uh, but I just didn't expect to have much darker forms of this as I did. Uh, but this was my first introduction to Barry Keoghan. Um I have I think it's most I, people's first
1: introduction, at least over here in the US.
0: Oh, so, and he's gone on to do other great movies. Uh he had a Star Turn in Saltburn and he was in uh there what's that? Oh you, he was he was another movie with Colin Farrell that I can't remember the name of right now. Oh the Banshees of Insurance. That's right.
1: He got the Oscar nomination for that, yes.
0: And I thought that was obviously another great movie too. Um, Nicole Kidman does, I guess, fine. Uh, mm-hmm. she's used the movie well enough. Um, yeah. I find this movie to be kind of a tough one to sell to people just because, yeah, it's about this doctor and he kills this patient of his and strikes up a friendship with his son and then the son puts a curse on the family where all the family members are going to die and then he has to choose between killing one of them. Yay! Happy, fun times That the movies for everyone. And, right. Uh, it's Because the premise of it, can't really sell people on it, but I do think it's well shot. I've seen the movie three times and I still am kind of like torn on it because I find it to be funny in places I like the way it's shot uh, but I just don't really like the story that much. Um, and I kind of fear, at, even at the end of the movie, I kind of wish there was something else going on. I feel like it ends just too abruptly for me.
1: Well, the ending is the weakest part because it makes no sense. Uh, he's not going to be out of jail. The father is going to be in jail. Yeah. So, you know, and I don't know why he's out walking the streets um for me it was interesting stylistically and then when you find out what's going on i went oh god oh god (laughs) because it's it's a it's a great tragedy is what it is and in great tragedies like in life and existentialism absurd things happen and there's no reason for it no logical reason for it how does Barry Cogan's character, have the ability to do this. And he doesn't even know. He says, I don't really understand yeah. it, but this is what's going to happen. And it's like the gods have come down and uh, are getting revenge. Um, and it does parallel the Iphigenia, uh story, uh, the Greek myth, in many, many ways. There are some little differences uh, in it but gotcha. once I realized it was a Greek tragedy, I said, oh God,
0: all hope is lost, because
1: you can't fight the gods.
0: Okay. <laughs> See, I didn't realize that it was based on a Greek tragedy here. I just, when the curse does happen, because when the movie is going through its thing at the start, and you're not quite sure exactly what's going on, is he having a relationship with this person? Um, and then, Bob, is your son, he just... I guess, uh, doesn't want to eat anything. Just doesn't want to eat, just not hungry. And they take him to the doctor, and he gets out, he starts walking, and there's that great shot where they're going down the escalator, it's all a big above shot, and then he falls down, goes back to the hospital, and you hear from Barry Dorkin's character with him and Colin Farrell talking about, uh, I gotta make sure everything's in balance, and tells them about what's going to happen. First, you won't be able to eat. You can't walk. And then you start bleeding from the eyes. And then you'll die. This will happen to every single member of your family. Unless you choose one. We gotta make sure that everything just gets back into the right balance of things. I know that he's doing this for revenge. Because he's sad that he killed his dad. But if that's true... Did he start doing this because uh, Colin Farrell's character doesn't want to be his dad? Because he tries to uh set him up with him and his mom in that sequence with Alicia Silverstone. And I'm thinking does that curse happen because he's not going to be his dad now? And that's well, why I think he that's, did it? That
1: could be the the one thing that happened that uh propelled of uh, Barry Cohen's character, to do that. You know, he said, I gave you an opportunity and you didn't take it, so now the gods are cursing you. I'm going to curse you. I don't know how I can do this, uh, but you're being cursed. And life is like that. Something bad happens and you don't know why, but there's nothing you can do about it. You get cancer and you can try to fight it, but eventually so much of the time is going to kill you. It comes out of nowhere. And that's what life is like. So here's something starts happening that can be explained that comes out of nowhere. And, and it's the reaction to it. And I say you can almost have anything happen in a movie as long as the reactions of the characters are true. And here we, I think all the, the reactions all the characters have or what they would have in a circumstance like this. But it's hopeless. You can't fight the gods. The gods yeah, are going to have their way.
0: And that's a true thing too, you see about the gods, because Colin Fro's character uh he was drinking on the job of a major operation. Uh is that the great thing? Uh surgeon can never kill a patient, and astrologers can kill a patient. But a surgeon can never do anything at all like that. And Oh, I may have had a couple of drinks, but I wasn't drunk at all when I did this operation, so it's not my fault that I killed this patient. So, in a way, yes, he killed someone, and the gods are now punishing him for having killed someone. So, he may have not tried to kill someone, and gods are like, you know what, you did kill someone, and now, it may be um, a mistake or whatever, but now, we're going to We're going to see how it really feels for you to, to kill someone. And his kids are getting worse. And spoiler alert here to this, we're going to show, you know, he actually does choose a a person to get killed. And, well, he sort of, he he doesn't exactly choose, but he
1: does choose to kill someone.
0: Well, I think it's this, the part that I found to be very kind of funny but in a dark way because he puts a, he ties everyone up and he puts a pillowcase in each of their heads. And then he wears like, uh, a, uh, a, 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 I wouldn't say like a, we call it like a, was a snow hats? Uh, belly, belly clover. Uh. Like, okay. So he puts something over his head so he can't see anything. He has a shotgun and he puts them all in a circle around him. And he just spins the circle really fast. And he pulls the trigger and nothing gets hit. He just gunshots happening. He tries again and again until finally uh his son Bob does get hit and he dies. But I found that sequence of him trying to shoot to be very funny. It's Ron that I laughed at it, but the fact that he kept missing, um, I was hoping that he would hit like art or, or, like organs of other people, and there was their argument. How oh, you hit me? Oh. Once you get better like, hit there. <laughs> I want them the family to be arguing a little bit more i I really was kind of hoping that this would turn into like almost like a war of the roses where each family members are fighting against each other about which ones should get killed first um I did th- I also found it funny too that the daughter is um telling the, her brother like just to let you know that uh, we love you very much and I love you always still and you know they may have to choose you to get killed. Also, I, I, I would ask you too about that sequence and then also the young daughter's relationship with the Barry Keoghan character because in my mind I'm thinking she's b- believing that this guy lights her and will make her you know, better. Because he does in that hospital he does allow her to like get up and walk to the window and then She can't walk again after that. So I'm kind of confused about how the rules of this world works. And I'm going off and on at different plot points of this, but yeah.
1: Well, he does have all the power. Um, what's so terrifying about his relationship with the daughter is that at first you don't know. You think maybe he is interested in her, but eventually you figure out he's just doing this to screw with the father. It's another thing he's doing to torture. The father, because in the end, he, he does have the opportunity to have sex with her and decides, no, that's not why I'm here. That's not what I'm doing. I'm doing this to screw with your father, with your parents because of what the father did to me. Um, I suppose you could say, yeah, what are the rules here? He, does he have the power to stop this? completely or not, and so now that's unclear. Um because if he can help her walk again then theoretically he should be able to reverse the curse. Might be a little more interesting if he says, it's too late, I've started it. There's absolutely nothing that can be done. And so I take your point. I mean there are certain little things that do did need to be more thought. For me the scene uh, at where he's shooting people. Yeah, there are some funny aspects that, to it. But for me, the big issue is if you're going to do that, you're going to make it look like the, they killed themselves. You're not going to make it look like murder. And the that's where the logic really stops for me. Uh, that's where they're not really reacting logically because he's going to be in jail. Mm-hmm. And what's he going to say? Well, I had to kill somebody in my family because this guy put a curse on my family. And they're going to go, no, that's not <laughs> yeah, it. That's not, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Um, so,
0: yeah. I, do you ever watch that, uh, show on Showtime called The Curse with Emma Stone? <laughs> and- no, I haven't yet. I hear it's <laughs> very good a lot of the style of ad not as dry as this movie, but a lot of the same elements, like the same type of tone, feel if this what this movie feels like it could be another season of The Curse, but like with like different characters in there. Um uh, mm-hmm. because both the Curse and the Killing of the Sacred Deer, they have this uh very up and well up upper class couple and they get involved in something and they have a hard time getting away from it. Like in the curse, uh, the lead character, they're doing a home improvement show where they go to low income towns and create houses for them. And there's like one sequence where, uh, his producer's like, Hey, you no, know, give this girl like money. It'll be a, a nice little gesture. And he does, but. He wants to get the money back from her because it's his only money. And she's like, no, this is my money. And then he (laughs) he takes it back and she's like, I'm going to put a curse on you. And all this bad things start happening to this couple and their show. Not as dark as the killing of a sacred deer, but it goes into something like really. And then the way it ends, it just is almost like with the gods, like the gods had it out for each people in both that show and this movie. And I, since we don't really see Barry Keoghan's character until a couple scenes later, so after Paul and character does kill this person, and a couple scenes later, Barry Keoghan's character comes out, I'm thinking in my head, oh, well, this guy has been sent by the gods to teach this person a lesson. Like, You can't go around drinking and performing surgeries on someone and not pay for your crimes. So we're now going to have you pay for your crimes in a big way by having you having to choose who you kill. Because if you don't, everyone in your family is going to be killed. And so I found it to be kind of a fascinating way. I wish this was just uh, a little fun short. Like... Maybe an hour long, that would be fine. Um, I don't think it needed to be two hours. But the weird thing too, like, the way this movie's edited, it never felt long. Like, I was never bored watching this movie. I was just more complex about how these characters all have to make sense with each other. And I found it to be, you know, a fascinating thing. And I'm glad He made the movie because without this, then it may not lead into the favorite and poor thing. So I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it might be interesting to talk about the myth
1: that it's based on.
0: Oh, I see. I Uh, I know it's just based on myth. So please do.
1: Yeah. It's based on the uh, story of Iphigenia, who is the eldest daughter of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra. And it's the beginning of the Trojan War when Agamemnon and the other Uh, troops are sailing to Troy. Agamemnon kills a sacred deer of Artemis. So in return, she says, in return, she gets all the wind to stop, and they're trapped on this island. They can't leave because the boats can't sail. They can't get to Troy. They can't start this war and get Helen back. And he has to decide, is he going to sacrifice his daughter? And Clytemnestra comes with the daughter under the pretext that he's that she's going to marry Ajax, I think. But he finally decides, yeah, he does. He sacrifices her. As soon as he does, the wind comes up and they're able to leave. And in the same way here, the people are paralyzed in the movie, Killing of a Sacred Deer, like the armies are paralyzed in the Ephigenia. Uh, Myth—they can't get anywhere. They can't move. And once you kill someone, now they can. Um, it's even mentioned in the movie once when the principal says she did a—the daughter did a great paper on uh, Iphigenia. And there is a movie of Iphigenia based on the uh, Euripides play. The play by Euripides, though, is—he was not really a believer in the gods. So the way the play works out, you come to the conclusion that no, it's, it's not the gods doing anything. And he just happens to sacrifice his daughter as the wind comes up. Uh, so that was Euripides' version of Iphigenia. There are other kinds of myths. So Agamemnon, and this also leads finally to Clytemnestra killing Ab- Agamemnon with her lover when he comes back from the Trojan War in revenge for him sacrificing Iphigenia that starts the whole Orestia trilogy with Orestes. So it does parallel pretty much. The yeah. you know so Agamemnon probably didn't know he was killing a secretary. He didn't do it on purpose, but it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. And okay. so
0: yeah. yeah. So I guess the patient that, uh, Colin Fertile's character does off of this. That was the sacred deer. And right. now the gods are punishing him for, all right. Yeah. I didn't, I had no idea that this, I just thought it was a kind of a fun title. I thought the sa- sacred deer had to deal like with the innocence of the youth, his right. children, because they are, they didn't ask to have any of this kind of stuff happening. I mean, all the daughter wants to do is just, uh, sing in a choir. And, um, I, th- I think the only punishment the son did was just like not cut his hair. So yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, when I first saw it, uh, I didn't, you know, what does the title mean? The killing of a sacred deer. And then when we find out what's going to happen to him, Barry Kogan gives him the lowdown on what's going to happen. I said, Oh my God, it has to be a reference to some Greek myth because this is pure Greek myth.
0: You know, yeah. and totally did Greek. Tragedy in a way too. Uh, yeah. Um and the filmmakers are Greek, so this is
1: their. Event. There you go.
0: Yes. Uh, I don't have anything more really to say about the movie. I just remember when I did see it in theaters, just because I was a huge fan of both Dark Tooth and The Lobster, and watching theaters, I was totally amazed by the sound design. And the way it was shot, Uh, the way the store is used in this is very ah, almost like disturbing. And I found the use of violins just to feel almost like a horror sequence, like very much someone being attached. There's like these loud strange noises that are happening. And in a theater, I found that to be just really kind of cool, but also unnerving as I'm watching it. And the deadpan style delivery fight, I was trying to find, and I know I did a I, thought I wrote a review about this, but maybe I didn't. No, I, no, I, 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 no, I did, I, I, I wrote one for the lobster, not the killing of sacred deer. Uh, all right, but I remember my, one of my reviews I wrote for the killing of sacred deer, I said the style of dialogue worked better in the lobster Right. That it does in this. Um, the Lobster Found Beach is a very great, fun, satire movie. And, uh, The Killing of the Sacred Deer, I just wish, I wish it would have done more of like the natural style. But then I'm thinking of right now, it wouldn't work if this movie was done in like sort of like normal dialogue. It, it wouldn't be as effective. Uh, this movie, you're supposed to be looking at this movie like you're a god. Looking at these characters going through these motions, uh, Colin Farrell is the audience protagonist, but you're never supposed to see things through his eyes. Like at least I thought, I'm not sp- supposed to connect with him. I'm supposed to be on the outset looking at him. I another think is...
1: I was gonna say I think that's very true. The only time when I really connected it with him was when Barry Kilgan gave him the lowdown. And I said, Oh God, game over, man, game over. There's <laughs> nothing this guy is going to be able to do to get out of this. And that's that was the main time I really identified him with him. Because I'm going, Well, that's life, you know, game over before, you know, everybody is game over at some time. Um so, But at other times, yeah, it's an alienating distancing. It'll, he's doing his next film with the author of this and the lobster and dog juice. So I'd be interested to see if he goes Gosh. back to that acting style or not.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I guess I'm fine with the, it depends on the story. And right. there are some moments of a really fun dark comedy. Uh, I like the sequence where uh, Nicole Kidman and Carl Farrell are in the kitchen. And they're arguing about how to stop this from happening because during this point of the movie, uh, Colin Firth's character has kidnapped Barry Keoghan and is keeping him in the basement. Um, and I think at this moment, Nicole Kidman d- decides to like set him free. Like, why did you do that for? And there's like a great sequence where, uh, they're talking about trying to stop the curse. And Colin Firth's like, all I need is like, uh, the tooth of a whale and the uh, blood of a virgin and the pubes of a witch. And do we have this available? Are they Around here, it's starts throwing things around the kitchen, just breaking things. And I thought it to be just very just crazily weird and eccentric and odd. And I absolutely just kind of like love it. Uh But there's that, uh, like when they're having him tied him in the basement, and as much as he can beat him up and hurt him, he cannot stop the inevitable from happening, um, in fact if even he the kills daughter, him
1: that's it, especially if he kills uh the Kyogen character, that is really it that's
0: yeah, yeah, but that's it's not gonna that stop one, the people from dying yeah, that's still yeah, exactly the the curse is still gonna happen, uh even the daughter she thinks that she has this connection with him, and she thinks that he likes her, and so she's calling to him, and she says. We can go right now. We can leave. You just gotta make me walk, all right? You just come on. Let's do this, right? And like, oh, you asshole! And it, yeah.
1: Well, uh, I, th- there's that scene when Nicole Kidman goes to see Barry Cogan, and she says, "I don't understand why someone innocent has to pay for this," and Barry Cogan doesn't really have an answer. Yeah. For her, Uh you know, and he eats, eats the spaghetti, in a really. <laughs> menacing way sort of you know just grabs like a pound of spaghetti on his fork and eats it at once and he says yeah sorry I gotta go I'll be late for school and that's gonna be bad and you know, he says I can't uh, I can't tell you why I just can tell you what is
0: he like says this, this is my only way to have justice because right. it was not right for why should his dad have to die. You know, yeah. like, and that's his reason for, hey, it's a horrible thing, but hey, sometimes people just have to die. His dad was uh, probably a nice person, just didn't deserve to die. Just like his family members of Carl Ferdinand's family doesn't need to die, but that's just the way to put things into balance. And that's just the way the world works out. If you kill one person, then the gods are going to say, alright, well, we're going to take something a way that you love. You killed this father that this boy did love, and now to make sure everything's balanced, we're going to take away something that you love, and we're going to do it in just this way. The issues with the
1: gods though, and what makes it so difficult, is that there are a lot of gods.
0: And they didn't get
1: along. (laughs) So you could please one god, but in pleasing that god, you could anger Another God, and still get cursed, so yeah <laughs> uh, it was their There's no it was intuition th- that's right that's their explanation <laughs> that's their existential explanation that's you know we have our society's original sin, and now we have the id, the ego and the superego, and all that that's what they had that uh life was controlled, I mean that the gods didn't get along, and because of that. Innocent people get killed or people get cursed and you're wondering, do they really deserve this? You know, but, uh, you know, in some myths, Iphigenia actually gets away and isn't sacrificed and she becomes a demigod, uh, marrying another, uh, oh. demigod. So there are all sorts of different myths for Iphigenia.
0: Well, I'm, I'm glad that you're going to stick to the original Greek legend of this. It,
1: yeah. It, yeah, the play legend, the one that Aeschylus wrote.
0: Yes. So I think he well, also
1: wrote another one where uh, Ivegania survived, so I think he used both versions. Oh, those Greek writers, what can <laughs> you do?
0: <laughs> oh. Well, how would, would you ever, like, if you were an adapt, adaptation of, of the street mythology, would you choose to, what version would you choose? Oh, she has
1: to die. There's no point in yep. making the movie if she doesn't die. Um, yeah. And um, when, when talking about, for example, though, one interesting exception is when Medea gets saved by the gods. Apollo comes down and brings her up so she can't be punished by human beings. So she does survive that after she kills all these people and the gods are on her side. So it's very strange. She can't count on the gods. They're almighty, but they're human in emotions.
0: That's that's a good way of saying that. Uh and speaking of Medea, uh, you and I talked about a movie that had that play element in an upcoming episode of Pop Art Podcast along with uh May December during our episode. So very right. very fortunate very happy to be on that episode, Howard. That was very a lot of fun. Yeah,
1: I've now started Editing it. I've gotten so behind for a variety uh, of reasons. So
0: that, uh, that's Toy find I look forward to when the episode does post because we did uh, an episode on May, December, uh, the one with Natalie Portman and Julianne Moore. And then the other one I cannot believe I'm uh, a, dream of pa- a dream of passion with Melina McCurry and Ellen Burstyn. Yes, so we talked about. Both those movies have to do with actors, or sorry, yeah, actor, actors who research roles from famous people who committed crimes. Right, in order to play the parts they've been assigned yes. to play. Yeah. Uh, but tell me, Howard, what would you give The Killing of a Sacred Deer? Rate the movie however you want to rate it, and then tell listeners any reason you have for them watching it? Well, um, I think I agree with you that it's, I think it's
1: better than Dogtooth, but it's a little less than the other three he's made since he's uh, left Greece and is making films international. I don't think I can give anybody a reason to really watch it uh, because you're right. There's, it's, It's incredibly different, and it was very divisive. A lot of people Mm -hmm. hated this film. A lot of people hated this film. And I'm not sure I can justify it to anybody. I can just say that if you can get into this idea, because a lot of people couldn't get into the idea. When Barry Cogan lays it out and says, this is what's going to happen, I think a lot of people thought that was ridiculous. And I'm going, oh, God, the gods are you know, coming back, they're going to, they're cursing this guy. And if you get into that, if you buy that, then it just becomes a really horror story. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's some movies and some directors that I love that I can't recommend to anybody. I can't recommend Robert Rezon to anybody. I don't think anybody I know would like him. I don't think anybody I know would like Godard. So I'm not sure I could have a justifiable reason except that it's, you know, it's one of this filmmaker's movies, and it's well worth seeing, even for that opinion, that alone.
0: Yeah, I think after all the award buzz for Poor Things and people want to check out his other movies, if you like Poor Things, watch The Favorites, and kind of go backwards with this filmography, watch The Favorites, watch The Lobster, then watch The Killing of a Sacred Deer, like because it's different tonally-wise, but yeah, it does have a lot of the same uh, comedic moments that you saw in poor things. It's just a much more darker and bleak. And I figured this, if you like an actor's film, watch them all. Watch them, even if you don't like the outcome of it, exactly. you'll find elements of it you will like and enjoy. And you can see the styles from uh, this movie it has other features, like the way the store is used abruptly and the use of like a wide angle lenses, I found to be <coughs> excuse me, just absolutely amazing. Um, so yeah, uh, I can't really recommend this to anyone really and I know when I had my <laughs> oh. uh, Sorry, when I had my co-host watch this she was like, I, I can't finish the movie this is just <laughs> too weird. I'm like, you're probably going to hate the movie when it ends, but yeah. I think it's just a fun one to experience. I don't know. Like I said before, uh, I like his movies, and I will still watch all of them, even if I hate them, so that's all I got to say on that. <laughs> yeah, uh, Criterion that, had
1: I'm oh, sorry, Criterion wait. had a section of his <laughs> films, which is where I saw Alex, but he has a couple of other films that might still be on Criterion that came before Dogtooth.
0: Oh, nice. Okay. Very cool. Uh, yeah, Alps is one that I definitely want to try to see again of his because I think that's probably one of my favorites before the favorite and poor thing. So we will see. Uh, before we do leave here, Howard, can you tell us what is going to be happening over at the Pop Art Podcast?
1: Well, uh, the most recent one that's still up, um, is with. Jennifer Fan Seal, she has an unusual last name, and I'm never quite sure how to how to pronounce it, where we did we talked uh Parasite and uh, La Ceremonie. Two films about where not only is good help hard to find, it can be murder. Uh, mm-hmm. So those are both films about uh villainous servants. Uh, or yeah, villainous servants, I think that's fair to say, even if paradise. Uh, a parasite. Um, I have yours, which I started working on, which was May, December and a dream passion. I just recorded with Todd Liebenau. Uh, what did we record? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I just did it and now I'm unsure what we did. Um, I could even think of, uh, let me see if I, I have to find out real quick. Wouldn't be okay. nice not to mention it. Uh it is oh, okay, got it. Uh um it's the Fantastic Mr. Fox uh that we paired with Straight Time, which are both are about uh ex cons and their attempts to go straight. And then the Valentine's Day episode is with Richard Kirkham of the La- uh Lambcast, and we're going to be discussing Ghost and Truly Madly Deeply Two films where uh, a loved one comes back as a ghost, and whether you want them to or not.
0: Those so, are great. Uh, that
1: actually, that Because I'm so behind, that may actually be the one that
0: goes up next, because I have to get
1: it up before
0: Valentine's Day. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, I'm very curious about the fantastic Mr. Fox in Straight Time. Was that the other one? Yes. Straight
1: Time is with
0: Dustin Hoffman. Uh, He plays
1: an ex-con who sort of tries to go straight but realizes he just can't do it. He just cannot do it. It's the same with Fantastic Mr. Fox. He swears off stealing, but he just can't do it. It, It's just part of their nature. It's just who they are.
0: I love this show because it introduces me to... Other movies that I never even thought about—I never heard of this one with Dustin Hoffman—and it sounds absolutely great. So I will definitely try to watch that before I listen to the episode. And that I've seen Ghost, and all I know about Truly Madly Deeply is that Ellen Rickman in it.
1: Ellen Rickman and Juliet Stevenson. Uh, It was written for Juliet Stevenson. Uh, It came out the same year as Ghost. But there's oh. a very different approach to the subject matter. And um, it came about a,
0: a year after Die Hard, right? Uh, I'm not that good <laughs> at dates, so okay. I'll take your word for it. I think it came after that because I just remember seeing trailers yeah. for it, but like, oh wait, he doesn't have a beard in this movie. Yeah. That's okay. I want to say so. it's
1: 1990,
0: but I'm not sure. That's that probably could be right. Uh, well, yeah. very cool. Well, where can people find Pop Art? Well, the main ones are where most people
1: find it. Apple, Spotify, and I always include Anchor, even though Anchor is now Spotify. But there are also other places, other streaming services, where it will show up uh, as well. So, you know, if you don't want to go on the main ones, you can do, uh, I guess, a search.
0: And find. if people want to, you know, follow you or see what you're doing, where can they find you?
1: Well, um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Under my name, Howard Castner, C A S N E R. I'm the only Howard Castner, I think. There might be one other now. My family was, Snae was always such that there was ever hardly anybody else uh, with the name. And um, then with the podcast. And I do have a blog called Rantings and Ravings uh, about that film. And I have two books of short stories I published on Amazon. The starving artist and other stories and the one true religion, uh, the one, oh gosh, uh, the five corporations and one true religion. These are sci-fi horror, supernatural fantasy ghost stories. And I have a, uh, screenwriting book, more rantings and ravings of a screen, uh, of a s- script consultant. Oh gosh, I'm doing those things memory oh, okay. that's, that's,
0: that's and sending my memory. And you can find those uh, through Amazon. Gotcha. Uh are those like, if I if I suppose link to your website, can they find links to your books through that or
1: um you can. It's better to link to the Amazon page
0: itself. Okay. Uh well I will uh, most likely link those books right there, but I'm asking you, my good sir, if you can send me any of those links, and I will oh, list sure. them in our show notes as well. All right, yeah. so appreciate that very much. So yeah, check out everything that Howard Kastner does. Listen to Popper Podcast; it's a great show. He brings on a lot of like great guests, and they have great discussions and conversations. Um, as for Cinema Recall, we are continuing our series of. Yarkos Lanthamos Movies, which I am dubbing Yahoo for Yarkos. Check out our last episode on Darktooth with Kaylee from Once Over with Kaylee and Bo from Collateral Cinema. That was a re- great fun episode we had talking about Darktooth. Uh, I do know that uh because of scheduling, I'm trying to get Ryan Luis Rodriguez to talk about poor things. Um We're also... Uh, trying to, and I forgot the names right now. There's like, uh, the cult worthy podcast wants to, no, no, sorry, not cult worthy. In films we trust wants to talk about the lobster. Uh, but they are not able to do it till later on in February and March. And I'm still trying to find someone that wants to talk about Alps. So we'll work that out. Uh I do know that we plan on just doing other episodes with Ashley and myself. Ashley saw the movie Argyle and oh, Lisa yeah. <laughs> Frankenstein. So we're going to get her thoughts about those movies later on. Hopefully yeah. this week or next week. Uh I'm also going to try to see a few more Oscar-nominated movies. I got to see The Zone of Interest and Past Lives and Killers of the Flowering Moon. Um, And there's one other that I'm blanking on right now. But I'll get to those later. Before we do go, I just let everyone know that you can catch episodes of Cinema Recall early by joining our Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Cinema Recall Pod. And this is the part of the show where I give shout-outs to all of our wonderful Patreon members. I cannot thank these people enough. So, I'm giving a shout out right here. So, big thank you right now to Donnie Roberts of one of the Deep Sea Anthologies. Donnie will be on an upcoming episode for exclusively Patreon show talking about the movie JFK. So, we're going to talk about that movie. Uh, All the stories. I hope it doesn't last as long as the movie. No. (laughs) Uh, I want to thank Mr. Jason Soto from Rabbit Hole Podcast. Check out the clue audio drama that I recorded with a bunch of other great rabbit hole podcast team members when we did our clue audio drama. That's over at rabbitholepodcast.com. Uh, I want to thank Linda Castro from Ben Knobs and Broomfitz. Thank you, Linda. I want to thank Jeanette Mickenham from AKA Jeanette. Thank you. Uh, I gotta thank Matt and Ashley. From Mashley at the Movies. I know they covered Lisa Frankenstein. On one of their episodes. So check that out as well. Um, I want to thank our good buddy. Harvey Andrus. He doesn't have a site. But he likes to give us money. He's a friend of ours. So thank you Harvey. Appreciate that. And then lastly I want to thank. Jen McQuaid. From Shocked and Applaud. They are on hiatus right now. But I really hope they come back soon. Uh, Jen. Naomi. Lydia, they do a movie, but they break it up into three parts, and it's a lot of fun. So, so, there you go. Thank you, everyone, for being a Patreon supporter. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Cinema Recall. Thank you to our guest, Howard Kazner from Pop Art. I appreciate it very much that you were on the show, and I hope you come back on again. I'll come back anytime. Nice, buddy. All right. Uh, that's it right now. Enjoy, everyone, and I uh, hope Hope there's no more Greek tragedies for anyone out there. All right. <laughs> but love you all. Thanks for listening.
1: This podcast is a proud member of the Lamb Podcasting Network. Find the network at largeassmovieblogs.com.